Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST 219, the Grant Hart 2541 12-inch. We had the Grant Hart Intolerance LP on the show a few episodes ago, and this EP came out before that one, so we're really going to try and tie all that together on the show today. And to help us do that, we've got a special guest. Yeah, Tom Herbers is on the show. Awesome. So great to have Tom on, not just for this recording, but as you will hear in the interview, he's been on a ton of records out of the Minneapolis world that I'm just a huge fan of and so cool to have him on. I was blown away. I was going, whoa, when I was listening to the interview myself and I'm like, I was like, that dude's on that one, you know? So, so cool to have Tom on the show. Uh, Before we get into it though, Brent, might as well hit me with some spiels. All right, I have a book report this week, Ryan. Oh, okay, good. So I feel like I rarely talk about books on the show, and it's because I've usually got a dozen different books on the go, and I'm constantly buying new ones and putting the one I'm reading down. I have literally, like, books everywhere in my house with bookmarks, or it's it's ridiculous. Spoiler alert, I mean, we're taking the summer off in like two weeks here. And my goal is to finish some of these books. Uh, you know, between, <laughs> I've already got like a dozen more books pre-ordered and <laughs> between that and my magazine subscriptions, it's just ridiculous. But uh, anyways. Uh, I can't, you make fun of me for having iPods. Yeah. You subscribe to magazines. No one does that anymore. They don't? No, no one subscribes to magazines, man. Okay, well. I got to have the deck cleared by the time some of these pre-orders roll in because I got some good ones coming in. Okay, do it. But I did recently finally finish a recommend of yours, and that's the Chris Franz book, Remain in Love. Oh, yeah. It's good, hey? Uh, Yeah, you recommended that that to me forever ago, and I totally loved it. Chris, of course, was the drummer in Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club and was and still is married to Tina Weymouth, bassist, Mm -hmm. bassist in both bands. She's writing a book, too, he mentions in this one. So I don't know what the status of that is. Uh, What I didn't know was how much production work they did. And Mm -hmm. the chapters on their time at Compass Point in Jamaica, working with all these amazing artists that were coming there, that was my favorite part of the book. They basically had their own wrecking crew happening with Sly and Robbie and and much of the activity revolving around uh, Chris and Tina and Chris Blackwell. Uh, of Island Records, who also has a book coming out in a few months. So I'll be checking that one out. Uh, Chris talks in his book about, you know, meeting Dire Straits there and touring with them. Some cool stories about ACDC tracking Back in Black. Yeah. Uh, Tons more. I was checking out so many of these artists and and records that he mentions. You know, like I'm a bit of an Ian Dury fan. Uh, and he was, he was around, Chris was for this 1981 album, Lord Upminster, which isn't one I go back to too often, but I re-listened this week, uh, you know, cause there's some hilarious stories about Ian Dury working on that with Sly and Robbie and, you know, I was totally grooving to it. Uh, I've been listening to, of course, a lot of talking heads and, you know, some of the associated bands. I'm honest, honestly not sure I'd ever heard Tom Tom Club before. Mm. Yeah. Probably just a few of the hits, mainly Genius of Love, apparently one of the most sampled songs in hip-hop. Tom Tom Club wasn't really, you know, doing it for me, to be honest. Uh, are, are you a big Talking Heads fan? Big Talking Heads, not so much Tom Tom. In fact, like the first four Talking Heads records are 
some of the few crossover albums for my wife and I. So mm-hmm. like when when we can't decide on anything in the car, you know, we just put on Talking Heads or or something like that. So yeah, I mean Tom Tom Club to me is kind of like Big Audio Dynamite is to me. Like I love Talking Heads, I love The Clash. I'm not into BAD or Tom Tom as much. Yeah. There's a good story about Mick Jones actually in the book too and yeah. and Joe Strummer. <laughs> So I re- I recommend that book to you in particular because of the Ramones tour stories. Did you did you like those? Yeah. Oh, I'll get to that. So oh, okay. uh, before <laughs> I'll tell you what I was getting into after Chris talked about them, and that's the Urban Verbs. Now that's his brother Roddy's band. Yeah. They were based out of Washington D.C. and they had two albums on Warner Brothers. Uh, the second one, Early Damage, is not up on streaming, but the first one is. I can't imagine either are too tough to track down, so I'll be on the lookout for them. That first one that's up on streaming, I really liked it. You know, mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of ground floor, new wave. Uh, they were actually slated to open for Joy Division on their U.S. tour, which, you know, was obviously canceled. Yeah. Um, really cool stuff. Uh, their drummer, Danny Frankel, is someone I know we've mentioned before on the show for sure. He had some stuff later on on uh, our podcast pal, Devin Sarno's label that he had with Tim Gr- Tom Grimley, Win Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's cool. Urban Verbs. I, I don't even know if I even knew that that band existed, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, they're cool. I'll tell you what, though. <laughs> like you just said, you mentioned, uh, you know, that you recommended it, I think, because of the stories about touring with the with the Ramones, which they did a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, every Ramones fan knows what a prick Johnny Ramone was. <laughs> <laughs> but if there was ever any doubt, Chris's book really settles that issue once and for all. It's really hard to decide who comes out of the book looking worse, Johnny Ramone or David Byrne. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But great book. So thanks for the recommend. Yeah. That's a good one. It's a And it's an easy read too, a light read. Yeah. And uh, you just cruise through it. And Chris has got a great sense of humor and amazing stories. It just goes to show you, like, I, I never would have picked that book up because I'm just not that big of a Talking Heads fan. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I like I said, I've been listening to, I have some of their records, like, you know, it's just, they're not a go-to band for me. Uh, but, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. It's like you said, you know, you can watch any documentary on, on music and whether you like the band or not, if it's, if it's good, you'll enjoy it. And yep. book, books are the same for sure. So, yeah, I had agree. Also, Ryan, I'll just quickly mention, I saw Primus this week on their Tribute to the Kings tour. Yeah. Uh, It was killer. Uh, They have a new song called Conspiranoia, which was kind of the centerpiece of their first set, which was like the Primus set. It was spectacular. It's an 11 and a half minute song and probably the best thing they've done in years. Uh, They played a really varied set, which was awesome for me. They played the song The Last Salmon Man off their 2011 album Green Nagahide. And I was like, damn, this is better than I remembered. That album was like their comeback album, and it was kind of disappointing for me when it came out. Mm. Uh, So there again, some more stuff that I'll be revisiting. Like, but I was rocking to my favorite Primus records all week. There's really nothing quite like the buzz you get in the days following a great show, you know, when you just want to rocked the that band all week the rush set was just so fucking awesome too double neck guitars taurus pedals kimonos 
Xanadu. <laughs> like, it just ruled. They, they, they really did kill it. Les told a story about seeing Rush on the Hemispheres tour when he was like 14. And he, he just said, you know, it set me on the journey to do what I'm doing right now in front of you all. And wow. uh, that was, it was pretty cool. And, you know, they t- have a total history with Rush too. Like they opened some shows on the Roll the Bones tour in 92 and again on the Counterparts tour in 94. I, I just can't think of another band that could pull that off quite like Primus. Yeah. So when Les Claypool sings Xanadu, is it like full on Xanadu? He tries. Or is yeah. it Xanadu? No, he, he actually surprised me. He could hit some of those Ged notes, man. Wow. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Black Mountain opened up a great band I've seen many times. Uh, nice to see them get added to such a cool tour. A few interesting factoids about Black Mountain, uh, for people who don't know, main man Stephen McBean, he has a long history uh, in the Canadian punk and oh, hardcore dude. scene. Oh, dude, are you going to do a McBean spiel? Do it. I yes. am. Yes, yes, do it. So he grew up in Vancouver and was heavily involved in the Victoria punk scene yeah. in the early 80s. His first band, Jerk Ward, is totally legendary, early punk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they evolved into the equally legendary Mission of Christ. Mm-hmm. Both bands have had much of their output, re, you know, released for the first time or reissued in the in the past four years. Fans of early Bad Brains should totally check out their Silence in Grave Realms of Evil reissue, Mission of Christ, that is, from a few years back on Supreme Echo. It's really killer. Uh, he was also in Victoria's Red Tide. With mm. Ken Jensen, later of the Hanson Brothers and DOA. Rest yeah. in peace, Ken Jensen. Man, I love Red Tide. Whew. Yeah. And Ryan, he was also in the band Gus with Ken Jensen. Of course. Who have a truly excellent album on No Means No's label, Wrong Records, called The Progressive Science of Breeding Idiots for a Dumber <laughs> Society from 95. <laughs> Which has, as a hidden bonus track, the Red Tide cassette on mm-hmm. the end of it, by the way. Yeah. Uh, his hardcore supergroup, Obliterations, have some definite Black Flag vibes going on, and Blast, too, so people should check that out if they haven't. And his other project, Pink Mountaintops, have a mm. new record out called Peacock Pools with a cover of Nervous Breakdown on it that just has to be heard. It's really awesome. Uh, so there you go. Stephen McBean, that record, that new Pink Mountain Tops, also has a song on it called Nikki Go Sudden. So you know I'm all the way down with a tribute to Nikki Sutton, one of my yeah. all-time favorite musicians. Nice. That's all I have this week, Ryan. What do you have? Wow, good spiels, good spiels. I have got a couple of spiels. My first one, though, is a We Can Be the New Wind update. The mm. book, the book that is. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to spiel about some releases out of that book that I've been reading about. This is, and it might be my part one. I might do a two-parter. I don't know. I've just got 10 that I want to rapid fire at you that are bands I've either discovered or rediscovered through reading We Can Be The New Wind. Okay? Hit me. All right. Here we go. And now, bit of a tie-in to Minneapolis, too, because band number one I want to mention is Dragnet from Minneapolis. They, their 1988 record, Life in General, on Whittier Records, probably, I guess if, if I'm going to say it in Canada, probably Whittier Records, classic pop punk, kind of like Bum, speaking of Victoria and Vancouver. Kelly Linehorn from Man-Sized Action was in Dragnet. 
which is a reflex band. So got some Husker ties there as well. But check out Dragnet. That's a good one. Number two is Slap of Reality. Now, I know this band from way back when, and I was reminded to get back into Slap of Reality from Florida, which I don't know if it's because I live as far as possible from Florida. Like, you know, I I don't know why I haven't really had a lot of Florida bands in my orbit over the years. In fact, though, there is a band from Florida called Gus. And Gus from British Columbia, Canada, and Gus from Florida have a split seven inch. No which way. you should yeah, you should check that out. And the other Florida band that I've always kind of been into is a band called Floor, if you want to get like really low and heavy. But what about slap- Florida death metal though? I don't know any Florida death metal, do you? Yeah. What like what like the band Death? All that yeah, whole scene? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but that, that's not my thing. That's not my thing. I'm more into slap a reality. Great 90s, Dag Nasty, Sam I Am, Melodic, Hardcore. I was checking out the 1991 Headhunter record, Three Lefts, Make a Right, which is an all-time classic for me, but I had forgotten about them. And quick quiz, Brent, on that record title by Slap a Reality, Three Lefts, Make a Right. Since you were just in British Columbia, what other British Columbia band do we love that also has an album called Three Lefts, Make a Right? Uh, that would be the pointed sticks. Ding, ding, ding. Good job. All right, number three, Pagan Babies from Philadelphia. The record next on Hawker Records from 88. Great melodic hardcore, kind of a youth crew sound, kind of Dave Smalley era Dag Nasty again. Like, I was just really, really getting into I was really kind of, you know, checking off my list when I was reading through we Can Be the New Wind, and Pagan Babies were on there. I was getting into it. Uh, number four, this band, Hopelessly Obscure. This was brand new for me. They're from Boston. They have a self-titled 12-inch and a, a single called Shoot the Girl. New wave, garage, post-punk, kind of Danzig-esque vocals at times with an organ. It was just killer. I'd never heard of Hopelessly Obscure, and they're they're deadly. Sounds like they might be hopelessly obscure. <laughs> they were until <laughs> until I read about them in the book. Yeah. Uh, number five, Billingsgate. I was getting back into some victory sounds here. They're from Illinois. And for me, kind of a victory band because I, I had their single. I don't have their full-length record, though, which I've got to track down because I was just digging this single by Billingsgate I've had. Um, it's called Reach Out from 89. I've had it forever. It reminded me to listen to them. Just insane, chuggy guitar work, like that early victory sound. Their LP, No Apologies, on Nemesis Records from 91. I've got to get that. Mm. Uh, Number six, The Crippled Pilgrims from DC. A couple of releases there. Head Down, Hand Out from 84, and Underwater from 85. Melodic, indie, post-punk, kind of psych and surf from time to time. Fountain of Youth Records, though, so you know Mm. it's... It's solid, so check out The Crippled Pilgrims. New to me, not new to me, but a great reminder. Man, I've been digging them this week, is Mad Parade. Oh, yeah. From, yeah, from L.A. Um, L.A. BYO punk of the highest order. I was just digging their A Thousand Words LP from 87, and they've got a ton of records thereafter. And I, yeah. my collection's really spotty with Mad Parade. I always kind of go back to that first one, A Thousand Words, but I've got to fill some holes in my collection when it comes to Mad Parade. Yeah, we've talked about them before. Yeah, yeah. Just, just awesome. Number eight, I, 
this is a new band for me. I was surprised. And I wonder if you know about them, Brent, the Jet Black Berries. Oh, yeah. Garage yeah, rock you, band. Yeah. Well, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, they kind of remind me of the Gun Club and the Cramps, but still kind of have a bit of a unique sound. Never heard of them before. Um, totally digging them. They formed out of the band New Math, mm-hmm. who I know you and I have both talked about, from Rochester, New York. I was just digging their uh, Sundown on Venus record from Enigma. Just killer. Yeah, maybe it's, yeah, I, I guess they've been, they were more associated with kind of that scene. Like, didn't they have something out on Vox or am I thinking of a different band? Maybe. Are you thinking of like the Midnight Records scene? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Jet Blackberries, though. Great discovery out of that book for sure. Doctor's Mob. Here's mm-hmm. another another one uh, that was great to remind myself of from Austin, Texas. Steve Collier from the Big Boys. Melodic, indie punk. I was just digging their Headache Machine from 86 and then their sophomore slump record from 87 on Relativity. Got a replacements, feelies kind of sound to them. Just love it. Yeah, I have both of them. They're both great. Yeah. And then finally, number 10 on my We Can Be the New Wind New discoveries and reminders. Moss Icon. Mm-hmm. Very much a Revolution Summer DC sound from Annapolis, Maryland, though. There, and I'm going to get this album title wrong. Uh, um, I'm not very good at pronouncing this one. It's Liburnum, Wits End, Liberation Fly. That's on Veriform from 93. Just killer Revolution Summer. I mean, they kind of get categorized as emo, but like some of the later emo is like not really emo i guess i don't know wasn't there stuff like reissued by you know hydrahead or southern lord or one of those labels there is a complete collection on cd i i i saw it as i was just kind of looking up the discography i can't remember what label it's on i was just really digging this (laughs) this record that i can barely pronounce uh liburnum wits end liberation fly moss icon that was great so this might be um i've got you know, a few more pages to go in this book. This might be part one though, but I was just digging all these new discoveries and reminders out of, we can be the new wind. So like how much detail is he going into on all of these bands? Are they just casually being mentioned like Joe Carducci style would just write one sentence of a ba- about a band or are there like whole chapters on these bands? Both, both. So yeah. there are sections that are like regional where there are full chapters about individual bands and there are great interviews and quotes from band members then at the end of the book there's kind of a like a roundup you know a a catch-all just random references all over the place and i'm i'm still like in that last 100 pages of like every page there are 20 bands to check out yeah so i'm working my way through that um i actually got through kind of the first part of the book a lot more quickly i guess um but yeah, there's a bit of a mix. Sometimes it, it, sometimes random references are okay. Like It's like that Stephen Blush book on New York music. Because mm-hmm. there's just so many bands that have come out of New York and that, and you know, he covers such a, you know, a big time frame and so many different scenes. He'll just randomly mention a band and, the, and all the band names are in bold lettering, like Joe Carducci style. So, you know, he'll leave you just enough of a tidbit that it's, something that you you want to learn more about or check out you know yep yeah so it's it's a bit of a mix in this book i mean it's 900 pages or so yeah it's it's taken a while but uh thoroughly enjoying it as suspected and discovering and reminding it's great mm-hmm. i have one more quick spiel though 
that I have to touch on with you because we've only got a couple more episodes before the summer. I must know whether you've watched the show Pistol and what you think. Yeah, well, I've watched one episode. I, my, my plan was to hopefully have it finished by next week so I could spiel about it, actually. Oh, okay. Okay, so I'll, I got to talk with you about it. So let me let you finish it. And then we'll we'll do it next week, hopefully. So yeah. that's it. I wasn't going to watch it at all because, you know, usually I'm just not really interested in stuff like that. But No, 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 no. You got to watch this, man. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah, I watched watch the first it. one and I, I liked it, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Like, you have to throw, like, all of your preconceptions and what you think you know out the window. Just let it go and enjoy it. So, yeah. uh, okay, we'll follow up. Okay, well, since... It's not time to talk about that. I've got a quick Mojack wind-up addendum slash errata. All right. Okay. So yeah. I, I kind of mapped that out for you one or two episodes ago. And I know I was bugging you about, you know, making comp tapes for the trip. Mm-hmm. But I can't believe, so I, I can't believe I didn't think of this. So I have to, like, correct myself. But we already have the perfect soundtrack for that trip can't believe I didn't think of it then, but I, I thought of it today and I was like, you need to get on this brand. The blasting concept? Cassettes? No, man. Our ballot result picks. Well, or, sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, our ballot. Yeah, yeah. Our, yeah. our ballot result picks. Yeah. So, so get dubbing. Okay, we've got four years. Yeah. Do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So let's get into this awesome Grant Hart record. Yeah, let's do that. History lesson, part one. So folks should go back and listen to our intolerance episode, SST215, because, you know, although it's in the wrong order in terms of, you know, how these were released chronologically, it does provide a really good context for Grant Hart and this era. We're going to get into more of it, of course. Go back and listen to it, though. We're really tying it all together, though, with this 2541. We We were saving some nugs for this episode. Because we knew we were getting to this EP, which came out earlier, but shows up later in the SST catalog. And of course, you know, if you want to read up or learn more about Grant Hart or Husker, look no further than the Andrew Earls book on Husker Du, Bob Mould's book, and that great Grant Hart documentary. Yeah. Just a very quick recap. Um, so Husker Du played their last shows in December of 87 and then split up sometime you know, in December 87 or January 88, depending on whose account you believe. Mm-hmm. Grant begins playing shows uh, right away uh, with Minneapolis band Toadstool, both drumming for them and also billing themselves as the Swallows with Grant on guitar and vocals. They were actually doing that, you know, off and on when Husker Du was still together, I believe. Uh, he begins recording his debut album, Intolerance, and I think largely due to budgeting issues with SST, it's kind of done in fits and starts. This EP was released in October of 1988 as a bit of a stopgap, I would say, Mm. and was touted at the time as the first release from an ex-Husker. You read that in kind of all the reviews kind of mention that. Here's part of a Spin magazine piece from February 1989 by Tom Robleski. We... I, I use this some of this in the intolerance episode, but here's part that I didn't use specifically because it it talks about this song and intolerance wasn't out yet when this came out. So you know this was February '89, so the the EP was just a few few months old by this point. Twenty five forty one, a relationship song from 1985 that Husker Du had decided against recording 
takes its title from an address Hart shared with an ex-lover. 2541 is also a street address in Minneapolis where Husker Du once had office space, a fact Hart realized only after recording the track. Here's a quote from Grant. There's a dual poignancy with that. I wrote the song while I was waiting for the truck to move me out of this apartment where me and this person had just split up, and there were so many parallels with the dissolvement of Husker Du's office and our being a band. Uh, so Tom Robleski goes on here. In Minneapolis, within miles of his East St. Paul home, Grant Hart wrote and played everything on 2541. Grant. It was more important to me to actually play songs on the instruments that I wrote them on. I think I'm a better songwriter than I am a drummer, and a better vocalist. I've got my own style on drums, but I can always do that. Right now, it's more important to get myself away from where I've been buried for the last nine years. I guess he means buried behind a drum kit. Yeah. The article goes on. Hart enlisted three friends to sing backups on the EP's raucous finale, Let's Go, which features a jumbled mix of lyrics concerning dope, suicide, and vanilla wafers. Uh, here it says, this is Grant. On the last verse, there's an extra set of background vocals that sing Keep Hanging On from Flip Your Wig. It came to me and the engineer that it would be a nice psychological countering to let go. Hmm. And then the article says, as he works on a full-length album for SST, Hart attempts to put the whole existence of Husker Du completely in retrospect. Quote, I think Greg's probably incurred less frustration doing what makes him happy than doing what Bob and I need to do. It's kind of in a state right now where Bob and I might be trying to show each other up here for a few years. No matter what kind of bitter monster it turned into, there were some very satisfying moments. I can't think of anything else I would have been better off doing for that amount of time. Maybe now, Ryan, would be a good time to throw it over to engineer Tom Herbers. Yeah, let's do it. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Tom Herbers. Tom, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I, I know the majority of your work was in done in Minneapolis or is still being done there. Is that where you're from originally? Yes. Yep, that's correct. It, I feel like... You know, before you got into engineering or kind of maybe because, or this is maybe how you got into engineering, but you started first as a musician, I believe. Yeah, a little bit like in high school and stuff, playing guitar and keys and violin and stuff. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to make my living in that <laughs> world, but then even before I got out of high school, I kind of got into the engineering thing Okay, and made that my plan. Was Bad Trip your first kind of, uh, you know, main band or like band oh, that, that played yeah, out? That was pretty silly. That was like a high school band that extended a little beyond high school, but that didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's far from silly. It's a really great, you know, um, 80s garage rock revival that, frankly, I, you know, when I was checking it out, I was kind of surprised that has never been reissued. It seems like, you know, a label like Get Hip or something like that would be all over a a comprehensive package of, of bad trip. Well, there's not too much there. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in That's the vault. <laughs> not really. Yeah. I was short lived. Yeah. Was there a, like a, a, like a scene for that kind of stuff in Minneapolis at the time? Oh, for sure. There definitely was inspired by the mofos and the hipsters. Mm -hmm. Familiar. Yep. The hipsters. Yeah. I mean, we were just trying to be them basically, and they were doing a lot better. That's how I feel. Yeah. 
Did you play um, with them? Yeah. yeah. We opened for them a couple times and but we were basically doing the same thing and they're still a, they're still doing it. Mm-hmm. So and uh those records that you did were kind of, you know, uh Terry Katzman was involved. It was he kind of oh, like yeah. did he kind of get you started maybe on on engineering? He's definitely a friend and inspiration. He worked at Orfolk and garage door you know important record stores in the scene and he knew who screwed really well i mean it's all connected that way that whole scene with twin tone twin tone and um the record stores were a big part of it just kind of the the center of it all how did you start you know uh getting into engineering was it just by necessity of like doing your own bands no i maybe i just had the realization like hey maybe um There'd be more. I don't know. I was just interested in it. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, learning about it while I was still in high school. And uh, and once I discovered the local records, like the replacements first record was a really big one. Once I realized that was existed and happened, it, you know, near me and was happening, it changed my world. You know, I discovered the first replacements record shortly after it came out. And then it was like, wow, <laughs> this is happening right here, right in my neighborhood. And, uh, and then I, you know, get into the the backstory behind it. Like Steve Fels did engineering those. I had to figure out where Blackberry Way Studio was. I eventually met Steve, um, Steve Steve Felstead, and um, who of course engineered so much of the Twin Tone stuff and um, most of the Husker Du stuff. So I just kind of like uh, met him probably right after high school. So in eighty four, eighty five. And um, just started hanging around, never never officially working for him, but just kind of just hanging around, mm-hmm. <laughs> doing work for nothing and uh, getting to know him and then all the people around. And that's um, kind of the beginning. Did you have kind of a mentor or did you was were you mostly self-taught? Were you doing this just by recording your friends' um, bands? I did go to a short reco- uh, recording vocational school after high school called the Recording Workshop in Ohio. It was a six-week uh, course and I did really well uh, but you know I didn't come out of there knowing everything but I did get an internship right after that at a place called Metro Studios in Minneapolis mm-hmm. which was at the time it was likely the best studio in the Twin Cities at the time and I was there right when they were building so I got in you know and it was of course all unpaid work but I was kind of in a good place at the right time and eventually started doing some of my own recordings there like the first thing i did for twin tone the blue hippos that was done that stuff was done at metro okay yeah now do you make the distinction between working as a producer and working as an engineer because you do both sometimes both i don't for know. an artist sometimes it just depends it's kind of bl- blurred yeah very blurred i mean back i don't know there's always a little bit of both i'd say you know, yeah. it's changed a lot in the last couple of decades, as you know, with people recording on their own and everybody does so much more on their own. So I guess because of that, I'm producing less because so many people are producing um, more on their own. Mm-hmm. Like every record I do nowadays is done at least partly at somebody's house or home studio or whatever. Yeah. It's just changed so much that way. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, Twin Tone, you, you did a lot of work with them. Was that you know, just because they were so ubiquitous kind of on the scene or did you have like a, an arrangement with twin tone specifically? No, I just, again, cause of the replacements and that was my kind of 
door into the local music scene, which was a very good one, good part of the local music scene. And and I just started hanging around. I literally, because in 1984, Twin Tone was housed in the same building as Nicollet Studios. Um, and so I was hanging around the studio. I just w- literally went there looking for work and they didn't really give me any work immediately, but I just stayed in touch and kept hanging around record stores in the neighborhood again and Terry Katzman, just all these connections just um, it all kind of came together. This is, you know. Did you work at any point directly for Nicolette or, or how does that work? I was a freelancer. I never had like a staff position, just always a freelancer, like Twin Town. I don't, I don't know. I think what happened with the Blue Hippo is that was the first thing I did for Twin, Twin Tone. Um, I think it was basically a demo where the band maybe paid me to go in the studio and record for a couple of days. And we did this EP. And then they presented that to Twin Tone and they put it out. So it was more like instigated by the band and Terry Katzman. Yeah. And then, they, and then that led to other things like the Magnolias and Soul Asylum and things. Okay. So by the time you end up working with Grant Hart, I'm assuming you knew him already. Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, I knew all those guys just from hanging around, you know, the record store, garage door records right across the street from the studio, just hanging around and hanging around at the studio. Mm-hmm. I was never allowed in the room for any of the who's could do sessions, but definitely there, like in the building, in the neighborhood, Grant hanging out constantly at the record store and, kind of all of them and you just get to know them yeah now with this kind of you know the 2541 ep and the the intolerance record it seems like you know these were kind of ongoing sessions over the course of a year or so maybe like it kind of done in fits and starts do you do you have any any recollection about that yeah as my memory serves yeah it was kind of a long drawn out process the EP came first, obviously probably got that out just to get something out, I think, because mm-hmm. that was a good song and probably just wanted to get it out there before for too long. And he did. And uh, but yeah, it was a long drawn out process. Exactly. And uh, never quite knew what was going on. Yeah, I'm, ass- uh, <laughs> I'm assuming, you know, like you're striking. It, it was long enough. You're striking gear and stuff like that between between sessions. Oh yeah, there was lots of short sessions and it was very loose and I never knew what was going to go on from one day to the next and they weren't like super long two-week lockout sessions. It was probably do a day here, half a day here, half a day there. It wasn't really a map or a plan. It was Grant leading the way and I don't know. Yeah. That's what I remember. Okay. And you're good with that as an engineer not having a plan? Does that... Um, well, I was young. I was, I would have been 22. I was 22 when started working with him on that. And, um, I was probably a bit frustrated, like just kind of in the dark. Yeah. And Grant, Grant's funny. You probably know enough about him to know. It's just like his creative process is pretty unique and he, you know, getting free from the constraints of who's could do or whatever, being on his own, he could just do whatever he wants. And he, and he was, and it was kind of little, little hard to follow at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I would understand it more now with my years of experience, but when I'm 22 years old, trying to make sense of it and figure out what the hell we're doing. And, um, it was certainly interesting. Yeah. That's what I mean. I, you know, you're, you're still relatively green at that point. Uh, Yeah, very much. It seems like it would have been anxiety inducing having somebody just, uh, for sure. (laughs) Well, yeah, 
I think it was. I mean, maybe he wanted, maybe he had me do it because I was green and I was just kind of, <laughs> he could, um, yeah, do whatever he wants and I would follow along. Yeah. Even if it didn't make sense. <laughs> was he, did, do you feel like he knew what he wanted? Did, did he hear it in his head or was he experimenting a lot? He was experimenting a lot. He might have known what he, he probably had an idea in his head of, believe he did but uh, he wouldn't always convey it he just would never know what's going on he'd start a song maybe it would start with the organ or maybe it would start with a guitar maybe it would start with drums like he would just play a drum part mm-hmm. and that might be the song but you don't know it just, i'm just hearing drums and i'm like okay <laughs> that's that's something and then he would build off that and it would turn into something or or not mm-hmm. was there a lot of or not material <laughs> i don't remember like outtakes or stuff that didn't get finished there was probably at least a couple but i don't totally recall i wish i could get my hands on the master tapes and see you know see what's really there yeah as you describe that i'm i'm thinking you know to myself with you being quote unquote green at the time too the nature of how this was recorded must have been a factor in that too with it essentially being one person doing everything yeah he did almost everything. I think occasionally, like there's definitely some background vocals where, you know, just friends of his hanging out in the studio, they'd sing a bit or whatever. But Grant basically did everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was unpredictable for sure. Uh, a few of the people that I know were on the 2541 EP, specifically on the track Let Go, I'm wondering if you know who they are. Ruben Hernandez, Steve Snow, or Tim Petrakowski? Petrowski. Petrowski. Yeah, Tim, I know. He's still around. I, the other guys, I don't really remember. They were just friends around the scene. Tim's still around, makes a little music, works at the Art Institute. Um, yeah, I see him from time to time. Okay. He was a good friend of Grant's. Around this time, Grant also did this EP, this Yano Mamos EP. Do you, do you know anything yeah, about that? Vaguely. That, I think Tim was involved with that, too. That's mm-hmm. just um, weird thing he had to grant had a couple of weird side things like uh, mcad the art school art college is right by the studio as well and um some of these friends grants went i think we're going to mcad the the college of art and design hmm. um yeah that ep was engineered by jd tomzak i i'm not sure if you know who who he is i don't remember okay uh, and how did how does chopper black play into this who is chopper black and, and uh, what was his involvement did you reach did you reach out to him at all no okay he's still around he's a bit older than me he's kind of an engineer from the generation older than me but he also he was he was working at the studio too i think he was just like a guy there at the studio well what happened i ended up not finishing the record and chopper finished it i basically started it and um fizzled out at some point and chopper finished it I, I think I did most of the recording and Chopper probably did a little recording and did the final mix on Intolerance. Mm. And I don't like have a lot of specific memories about how that went down or what happened. I think it's just kind of like, cause it was so drawn out, like over the course of a year, I think at some point I was just maybe frustrated, fed up. I wasn't getting paid, waiting for money from SST. It was sort of like, didn't, you know, it definitely seemed a bit directionless at, times and at some point grant brought in chopper and he mixed it finished it up uh, okay so 
I don't know. Um, I'd like to talk, talk to Chopper and get his take on it, like what his memory is of it. Yeah. But he, Chopper comes from a different scene. He's more of the R&B scene, and he was not from the punk rock scene, probably never saw Husker do. You know, it's not his background, so I don't know. It's just interesting. He's a good guy and a good engineer, really good engineer, but he's just was the guy that was around the studio. Grant probably just said, here, you do this. <laughs> <laughs> My assumption was, because it seems like he worked more on, like, you know, more mainstream pop type records. I thought maybe he was more involved in the the All of My Senses track or something like that because it's that that's definitely different from the rest of the the tracks on this record. Yeah, I think that one's a drum machine. Maybe starts with a drum machine. Yeah, but yeah, does. it was just. I think I remembered somebody else in the building. Grant was like, "Oh, we need a drum machine," and had somebody else in the building mm-hmm. pull one out and get a beat going, and then the song started from that. You know, I don't think it was necessarily Chopper, but Chopper did finish it. So, mm-hmm. any idea yeah. what what's going on at the beginning of that song? All of my senses. It sounds like maybe some it's, tape manipulation of some sort. No, nah, I think it's just a synth. It was like a patch in a synthesizer. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, yeah, it is does sound kind of like that. But um, I think it's just like a weird effect thing in one of the synths that was there. But a technical note about tape and all that. This was the first record I ever did digitally like believe it or not that intolerance was recorded digitally oh. it was um which was really kind of unheard of at that time the studio had just gotten these like all the who's do stuff everything of course was done on analog tape 24 track yeah but the studio had just gotten these sony digital tape machines through these massive the 3324 is model number they're really big expensive it was digital real tapes of digital uh reels of digital tape half inch tape 24 tracks and um it was a very cutting edge format at the time but in, in hindsight you know there's not those machines just aren't around right. <laughs> they were replaced by ADATs and then by pro tools but at the time these tape machines cost 125 grand wow. and the studio had two of them and they're like oh we got this new technology here let's try it so we did this record <laughs> on digital tape which like in hindsight, you know, I don't know. It might have been better if we had done it on the analog tape. <laughs> I think the drums would sound better, but that's. <laughs> I'm getting a clearer detail. Getting a clearer picture of why you may have been frustrated. You know, uh, yeah, relatively new engineer. Uh, you know, new creative technology. pro, new technology, not getting paid. Uh, yeah, and and dealing with you know uh, an artist who's. Uh, flying by the seat of his pants <laughs> yeah yeah i can appreciate the creativity and stuff more in hindsight yeah At the time i was probably a bit confused and grant and i you know we remained friends mm-hmm. i saw his last show i saw him right up until the end mm-hmm. um so would see him all the time around he'd call me from time to time but yeah um it was interesting interesting times i was looking at the timeline this morning i think the ep came out like a year before the album or something i feel like it did yeah yeah you know i'm not even sure if the original plan was to put out an ep it was more like like you said it was maybe released as a stopgap because the the full length was just taking way longer than ever anybody wanted it to take yeah 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 and um i was listening to it last night trying to figure out a I think 2541, it's the same 
it's the same version. Well, it's a different version, but it's the same basic track on the EP. And I think it was just like he probably re-sang it and added some guitar. Mm. To my ears, that's what you know happened for the album version. Okay. It's like a, a little more amped up mix and a little more aggressive guitars and more aggressive vocal. But I, I listened to them back to back last night and I'm pretty sure they're um, interesting. The same same foundation. Oh, that's interesting. I, I think most people would assume they're completely different versions, but yeah, uh, I think the foundation, like the maybe the original guitar and drums, it's the same because the exact same length. They put them on top of each other. Yeah, fanfare in D major or com com, whichever you prefer. Yeah, uh, that seems like it's definitely a different version on. Yeah, drummers. yeah, for sure. I I check those out. Yeah, it's like the one on the EP is way more like acoustic. It's, yeah, a much lighter version. Yeah. But they're both really cool, I think. They are. Um, any idea on the Intolerance version what what that instrument would be? It's either a viola or a, or a violin. Yeah, I don't know. And I was trying to figure out, like, if Grant played it. I mean, he might have played it. Like, not that he knew how to play violin or viola, but um, it's just one note, like, mm-hmm. played percussively, um, rhythmically, and... um. So it might have been him, but I don't really recall. I don't re- remember bringing anybody else in. And the fact that it's such a simple part, he probably did it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the, the most discussed tracks on the, the record is the main. Any any thoughts on that one? It's It seems like it would have been really difficult to put that together because it's so piecemeal. Yeah, it probably started with a piano and vocal, and then he just added tons of vocals on it. I, I think the vocals are all him, but again, it could have been him with maybe a couple of friends hanging around and coming in on it, but they're not credited. Yeah. The yeah, record doesn't have any credits, really, does it? <laughs> I, I was mean, just going to say, it's, yeah, it's very sparse on credits. It doesn't even say where it was recorded. I've just I've read, you know, in other uh, uh, articles about it that it was done at Creation Audio, which is Nicolette, yeah. right? It's the same Yeah, studio? it's the same. And if if you notice on the EP... Or somewhere on one of the EPs. It says recorded at K-Bank, but that, that's just kind of Grant's being funny. K-Bank is um, what the studio was called in the 60s. Mm. The studio has a lot of history. It goes back to the 50s, actually. It was called K-Bank, and um, it, lots of great stuff was recorded there in the 60s. All the 60s garage stuff happened there. Uh, the Trashman did Surfing Bird in that same room. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, if you think about it, the that room where Surfing Bird was done and all this great 60s garage stuff, and then Husker Du did tons of stuff there, and replacements did Tim in that room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still happening. I still work there. So that studio, uh, Nicolette and Creation Audio, all the same room? Yeah. Yeah. There's three studios in the building, and um, there's kind of a big, a medium, and a small one. Mm-hmm. And Husker Du occupied the the big studio for all their records from what New Day Rising until the end, and then um, but Intolerance was done in the medium, at least mostly in the medium studio, medium sized studio. The track on on Intolerance, anything? There's a lot going on in that song. Do you, any? Can you shed any light yeah. on that? There's Not like really. A... <laughs> That's I listened to that one too. That's one I remember the least about. So. It's quite possible I didn't even record it. 
because I seemed I just seem to remember little or nothing about that. So mm-hmm. it's possible that was done later in the game with just Chopper. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as you as you mentioned, you did listen to this last night. You told me you were going to. What did you make of it when you when you listened to it? Had it been a while? Um, yeah, well, I listened to it a couple times this week, but specifically last night and listened real close. And yeah, it brings back memories. At, you know, at the time, again, well, back years ago when it came out, I, I did not listen to it a lot. I mean, I was kind of frustrated by the experience, you could say. So I did not give it a lot of attention back then, but I appreciate it way more now. And I hear it now and it's like, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the songs are really great. And uh, I mean, we've, yeah. we're whatever episode we're in, 215 some episodes in this podcast. And we've heard some, some pretty poorly engineered records. And this is not one of them. It sounds, it sounds wow. great. Well, that's great to hear. Yeah. And he- hearing it now, it, it's really cool. Um, I'm very proud of it now. Happy to be involved. And I don't know. There's, I know it's been reissued. I would love to get my hands on the master tapes and um, and remix it. You know, yeah. Who knows if there's any possibility, but yeah, I don't know enough about that that uh, remix to know how you know what the source material for that was. Yeah, we, we would um, we would have to get because it was recorded on those weird digital tapes. That's the problem. I know this came up years ago. I think it came up when Grant was around that he wanted to find a way to transfer these tapes. I think Grant brought up the idea of remixing this record mm-hmm. while well, he was still alive. And, um, but the idea fizzled because um, the tapes, nobody in town has a tape machine. I think we'll have to go to Nashville or New York. Somebody's got to have one of these tape machines, but we'd have to find a way to transfer them. So, okay. I should, I'm going to talk to, I'm going to talk to the, uh, <laughs> the people in charge, the management. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the Blue Hippos. I wanted to ask you about a few of the other bands you've worked with or, or albums you've worked on. I'll just maybe throw uh-huh. some 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 of the bands and some of the albums out at you and, and see what you mm-hmm. see what you what your general thoughts are. Soul Asylum, Clam Dip, and Other Delights. You oh, pr- yeah. produced and engineered it. Yeah, that was fun. It was a weird. That was kind of a weird EP, kind of for fun, just putting out some oddities you could say uh that was their transition from twin tone twin tone to a and m so the the play on whipped cream and other delights is a a nod to a and m records uh, herb albert yep so that that's where that bit of humor comes from and <laughs> a great album cover yeah carl Mueller on the front dan corrigan shot the cover art who shot most yep. most pictures for minneapolis <laughs> bands and uh oh that was fun i um we did that in a couple different studios it was kind of a fun off the cuff stuff it wasn't like high budget or anything but um it was a definitely a fun time Mm -hmm. lighthearted record covers and so on uh you mentioned the replacements you've worked with a number of them individually um you did the slim dunlap times like this record yep yeah i worked with all the replacements individually you could say um but not, not as a band. Uh, but yeah, the Slim record was great. Super fun. Also a, a very unique guy, very talented, fun to work with and, and unique methods too. It was, um, but we, we had a great time. 
Yeah. Chris Mars, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. There's another drummer <laughs> coming, oh, yeah, up, yeah. Up to, coming up front. Yeah, doing the first solo record for him, too. Yeah. that. Uh, oh, I'm super proud of that record. We had a great time, too. It was just he and I. Oh, and a bass player, J.D. Foster on bass. But other than that, Chris did everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we did that at Paisley Park in the small studio at Paisley Park. And Chris and I had a great time. It was like... Um, drive out there every day it was like six weeks of driving out there working Hmm. like regular hours like eight hour days (laughs) driving home and um we had a lot of fun that uh he had some really good demos we 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 started with he had things really thought out Mm -hmm. a little different than intolerance you know uh a fave on our show uh bash and pop friday night is killing me oh wow yeah yeah, I didn't do a ton on that, but I worked on some overdubs and then I mixed two of the songs, the two quieter songs. I think they maybe, hmm. um, who was it that did the rest of the record? Um, can't think of his name. Anyway, for whatever reason, they had me mix the two quieter songs and I did some guitars and vocals on it. I worked with Paul and Tommy on that. Um, Paul was slightly involved. Okay. Helping out with some production and ideas. And, uh, you've done some work with the Jayhawks, uh, Blue Earth, and and you worked on what many would consider to be their breakthrough, Hollywood Town Hall. Yeah, the um, Blue Earth was basically a collection of demos that they're really good recordings. But I mean, I started recording with the Jayhawks like before they got signed, and some of those tracks became Blue Earth. You know, there's that's why there's many li- engineers listed on Blue Earth. Um, was done in a few different studios and then it was just kind of put together as a finished record but it comes out comes out as a really good record Mm -hmm. and then hollywood town hall i spent a week working on that that also was done by in many studios with many engineers and i just got to spend a week or so at pachyderm working on that which was super fun doing overdubs i don't think i did any basic tracks it was guitars and vocals and things Mm -hmm. uh you've worked a bunch with uh magnolias yeah, two or three records with them. I yeah. can't remember, but yeah. yeah, they're they're good. That ever changing band, but John Freeman is solid. Great, such great songs. What do you think is like, you know? I hate to say your biggest record, or you know, what's the one people ask you about the most? Boy, I don't know. Um, intolerance actually does come up a lot, even mm-hmm. though it's so old. The low stuff probably because it's more more. Um, more recent but mm-hmm. recent being you know 20 years ago the low record trust which is a pretty uh, one i'm pretty proud of yeah you mentioned to me before we started recording that you do front of house sound for low is that something you've you do a lot of uh i don't do a lot of live sound a little bit occasionally fill in for um somebody i've occasionally mixed the jayhawks when they need somebody not on a regular basis but mm-hmm a band called the cactus blossoms i fill in for them once in a while but low is the only band i really get on the road with and do it for real and it's been really fun super creative just because they're so unique and um have a lot of room to play with their sonic sonic palette uh what else are you doing now are you you mentioned you're still you're still uh doing records at nicolette or at creation audio i guess yeah i work there i work at other places um I have my own little studio. It's kind of a mixing 
situation through mixing a lot of records for people and mm -hmm. that's that's about it you know still rocking along i feel like i mean we've talked to a few people um a few engineers we just recently talked to paul coldery actually and uh, uh -huh. i feel like mixing is kind of taken over for a lot of engineers as far as like their main vocation these days yeah i think it's kind of natural just being like we talked about how so many people are recording so much more on their own at home mm -hmm. or in their own studios so there's a need, there's more need for mixing people can do a lot on their own and that's just how it goes so once in a while i still get to do a band from start to finish mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah uh, it, the, I mean, the, the industry's changed so much as far as like the, who's funding the records even. Yeah. Yeah. The budgets are smaller and stuff. So I'm just, except that the live show, that's part of the reason to do the live shows, but recording still more than 50% of my work, you could say mm -hmm. the, the touring has been fun because at least with low, they go, they do better in Europe than they do in the States. So I'm getting to go travel quite a bit. Mm-hmm. What about playing music, you yourself? Um, nothing real substantial. I, I always say I want to do more, and I am. I'm always playing a little bit, dabbling, but nothing solid, nothing like not writing an album or anything mm -hmm. or playing with anybody regularly. Yeah. But goofing around, right playing, the living, playing the living room. <laughs> right on. Tom, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great. All right. So awesome to hear from Tom. Like I said, you know, the uh, the shout outs to some of those records that he's been on was uh, was just awesome. It was blowing my mind like Friday Night is Killing Me, those Slim Dunlop records. Yeah. Awesome. I, I knew awesome. you'd love that. Yeah. His band that he had, Bad Trip, he kind of, you know, dis you know dismisses them almost, uh, you know, but check them out. Their first two singles are both up on YouTube. Tom was the guitarist, by the way. Uh, the first one was on local Minneapolis label Treehouse in 1985. It's all covers. Both of them are, uh, you know, Electric Prunes, The Remains, uh, Kenny and the Casuals, Moving Sidewalks, um, The 13th Floor Elevators. Um, the second one from 86 on another local label, Ryan, Whittier Records. Oh, hey, look at that. Yep. Uh, produced and engineered by Terry Katzman, those records. Very early 80s garage rock sound, you know, like lime spiders or something like that yeah which i love yeah me too he mentions that grant credits k bank studios that's actually on the all of my senses ep where grant says it was recorded at k bank k bank studios has quite the history it's all based around the building 2541 nicolette avenue uh, quite a number of studios have, have been in that building. I found some great info on a website called Twin City Music Highlights. Uh, and much of this info that I'm going to cite comes from um, a Minneapolis music ex expert, Derek Olson. Yeah, I remember pulling stuff on Run Westy Run from that website. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah it's, it's quite comprehensive. Yeah. The building's first use was as the Garrick Movie Theater, which opened on June 8th, 1940. 14, uh, and the name changed to the LaSalle Theater in 1930, and it closed the theater in 1950. So quite a run, actually. In 1953, Minneapolis-born Bruce Swyden, a self-taught engineer, bought some gear and moved it into the theater, turning it into Swyden Studios. 
He recorded mostly jazz, including like Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Herbie Mann recorded there. Bruce later moved to Chicago to work for RCA Victor and had a huge smash hit with Frankie Valli's Big Girls Don't Cry in 1962. In the mid-70s, he moved to L.A. and then New York and eventually uh, worked on just an insane amount of famous albums, including he engineered Michael Jackson's Thriller, Bad, and Dangerous albums, uh, all of which he won Grammys for. He passed away a few years ago in 2020. Uh, the story of K-Bank Studios starts with Vernon, Vernon Charles Bank. He got into the business in 1946 when he bought a recorder intending to record weddings. But that didn't really work out. I guess there was no market for it. So he, he eventually got into recording choirs. And he expanded the business and bought some brought in some partners moving into various locations. In 1956, uh, this plating company boisterous i think plating company moved their operation from michigan to minneapolis to join forces with k-bank they specialized in plating uh like acetates to press records okay eventually k-bank also opened a pressing plant and on august 12 1957 they moved into the former swyden recording company studio location at 2541 nicolette avenue doubling their previous studio capacity K-Bank offered an attractive package to local bands. Check this out, Ryan. For $395, you'd get three hours in the studio, 1,045s, and 50 promo packages delivered to radio stations in the Midwest. Whoa. By 1958, they were, pressed, <laughs> by 1958, they were pressing 60,000 records a week with six presses and 18 employees. As Tom mentioned, The Trashman recorded Surf and Bird there in 1963. Vernon Banks' story goes on from there. He expanded into other cities and eventually land, ran the largest independent recording and record-producing operation in the country. It's too bad they're, they're not still going. Yeah. You know, because of Adele. <laughs> <laughs> he sold 50% of the business in 1967 and then retired the following year and passed away in 1994 at the age of 80. In 1967, the building became Universal Audio from 1970 to 73, Mike Side, and then in 73, from 73 to 84, Cook House, um, which is where Prince's first ever session was held at Cook House, playing guitar and synthesizer on a recording by local musician Pepe Willy. During the 70s, hundreds of jingles, records, and film soundtracks were recorded there. And then, Ryan, in 1985, it became Nicolette Studios. Ah. Uh, as well, it also housed Twin Tone Records and Husker Du's offices. Uh, New Day Rising was recorded there, Flip Your Wig, Candy Apple Grey, Warehouse Songs and Stories, all recorded at 2541 Nicolette Avenue. Uh, many other famous albums, like The Replacements, Tim, uh, the two Run Westy Run records we covered were tracked there. Uh, it was sold again in 1988, and that's when it became Creation Audio Recording. Uh, and as you heard Tom mention, he still does some work there from time to time. So I don't know, pretty interesting that, uh, you know, Grant didn't make that connection at the time, that 2541 was also the, the address of their, their offices. Yeah, well, I've got this quote out of the Trouser Press, and it's interesting. It almost suggests that Grant, maybe it wasn't that 
he didn't know about it, but there was no intent behind it or something. Hmm. It's set. It talks about how uh, Hart got in the first word on the plucky title track of a 1988 three-song 12-inch painting, The Split, in terms of a couple's first apartment, the number of which just happened to coincide with the band's office slash studio address. When it says, Hart denied that this was his intent, but few believed him. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Well, this this as as we'll talk about a little bit more here. This song dates back to you know the Husker days. The Husker days. So it's probably true. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about these tracks? Yeah, man. History lesson part two. You want me to hit you with some Spaceman? Yeah, man. Just start. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Grant Hart, twenty five forty one from the SST catalog. It says. The former drum king from Husker Du and writer of such hits as Diane and Green Eyes whips out three songs of a passion that most men only dream of. Venturing into the neon wilderness of Minneapolis, Grant fashions 2541, Come Come, and Let Go, all true pop masterpieces on a 12-inch 45 and cassette. Oh, and C- and three-inch CD, although it came out on CD single and cuss-single, yeah. cuss-single, and then later on a purple vinyl 10-inch as well, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, it was released in October of 88, as we mentioned. Uh, considering how many formats this came out on, three-inch CD, regular-size CD, cuss-single, 12-inch EP, uh, one of these reviews that I'm going to read in a bit here from the press kit, suggests that this record was very hard to find at the time. Oh, weird. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't press enough of it or something. I don't know. Mine is a cutout. Mine's like a mm. vinyl, but it's a cutout. So maybe it it just didn't take off, and so they stopped the press. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I can't see it not taking off, but... Uh, <sighs> Who knows back then, right? Because look at all the stuff that was coming out at that time. Yeah. Well, if you don't own this, great news, it's also up on streaming sites, or you can buy it on iTunes, so everyone can check this out. So on the 12-inch EP, the song 2541 is on the A side, and the other two two tracks are on the flip side. On the single, all three tracks repeat on each side. Unlike Intolerance, Chopper Black isn't credited as engineer on this EP, just Tom Herbers. And that would make sense, because Tom figures you know he kind of started the record and then chopper came in and fixed it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it was so cool hearing about how you know i don't know if this is the right way to put it but it seems like kind of tom was uh, just along for the ride yeah with, with grant hey grant would be like you know just hit record well i think that's really your all you can do is just go along for the ride <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> Okay, so we've got, uh, you know, track one is 2541. Here's what Bob says in his autobiography, See a Little Light, about this song. At one rehearsal, Grant submitted a song. We played through it a couple of times, and after a moment, I said, Grant, I don't know about this one. It's the same riff and melody as a Dream Syndicate song that's out right now. Grant's song was called 2541. Later, I realized it was probably about a failed relationship he'd had, that it carried a lot of emotional weight for him at the time, and that it was one of the best songs he'd ever written. But at the time, I just wasn't putting it together. 
I only meant to point something out. I think it really hurt him, and I think he viewed me as an adversary from then on. Years later, I felt bad about it, and I often wondered if it might have been the beginning of the end. Mm, right. So that's interesting. As Paul Hillkoff points out on his site, uh, this passage is taken from the time frame when Bob's talking about New Day Rising. So the song dates back to at least 1984, if not sooner. Mm-hmm. Really not sure what Dream Syndicate song Bob thought this sounded like. Maybe something off of Out of the Grey, but I've been rocking that a ton lately because of the, that excellent new box set devoted to that era of the Dream Syndicate. And I can't think of what song Bob might have thought mm. this sounded like. Maybe that's just how it sounded to Bob when, when Grant was playing it. But once it's on tape, you know, it doesn't quite sound as Dream Syndicate-ish. Yeah. I've listened to the two versions back to back, this one and the, the Intolerance one. And oh, yeah, you know, me like, too. like Tom mentions, he's totally right. It's the same basic track for sure. I like this one better. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's, you know, basically uh, pretty much agreed upon by, by most fans. Mm. Uh, this really is up there with his all time greatest songs for me too. Like, like Bob says. Yeah. Great lyrics. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, things are so much different now. I'd say the situation's reversed and I'll, it'll probably not be the last time I'll have to be out by the first. Yeah. <laughs> Love I that ca- line. <laughs> I caught that one too. Yeah. I agreed. Yeah. Uh, the next song is Come Come, subtitled on Intolerance No, uh, as fanfare in D major, mm-hmm. not on this version. And that was our ballot result pick for that release, actually. This one is equally as sparse as that one fairly similar actually no viola or violin on this version i i think the opposite of 2541 they you know they improved on that one on this song for that one i have the exact same thing written in my notes like i find that the fanfare and d major come come version on intolerance is better there's more fanfare on that one too yeah you know it's it has a lot of um intensity in the way that and I guess that is the fanfare. It's, there's a lot of percussion, though, on this version, which was interesting to kind of pick out in a different way, listening to it in the context of this 12-inch the, with the egg shaker, the tambourine, that bell. The that dinner really, bell. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not sure that's what it is. But, Food's up. But it, yeah, but it kind of, it really punctuates a moment in the song, you know, in a way that doesn't come across in the version on the LP. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Okay, and then we've got Let Go. This one just made me think of Sympathy for the Devil all week when it came on. I wonder if that was intentional or not. I don't know. This is this is one that I could let go off yeah. the 12-inch. Like, it's definitely my least favorite track. The uh, the funky gang vocals, kind of rapped vocals, I was, I don't know. I'd rather hear Grant Hart sing. That, yeah. was, I, that was, I think, my, my main problem. Yeah, this is a throwaway. It's not surprising they didn't re-record it for the for the full length. He's pretty much rapping. There's some friends in the studio, Ruben Hernandez Hernandez, Steve Snow, and Tim Prochowski. Interestingly, Steve Snow has a credit on a Giza X Paul Rossler track called America. Hmm. And Tim, I think we mentioned on the Intolerance episode, played on the Yanomamos EP that came out on New Alliance Records around this time. And in a Minneapolis art punk band called Duck Kicking Vulture. Tim is interviewed quite extensively on episode six of that excellent Minnesota hardcore series. 
You've seen that, right? I, I think we've talked about that before. The YouTube one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. If anyone out there has not seen that, go watch them all right now. Uh, Duck Kicking Vulture is all over episode six, and, and Tim talks about you know not even knowing how to tune his guitar, but kind of likens it to painting. Like, mm. I get paints and I'm going to paint, you know, whether I know how to or not. And Miss Jane Mansfield, who was on Yanomamos, Yanomamos, yeah, she was also in Duck Kicking Vulture. That's it, though. That's the record. I'm going to read a few things from the press kit here, Ryan. Here's from uh, Sounds Single of the Week. It says Grant Hart has been cast as one of the most notorious flakes in rock, for it was his reputed fondness for chemicals which alter one's personal time-space continuum that screwed up the greatest rock group, bar REM, that America has produced this de decade, Husker Du. It therefore comes as a surprise that it should be Grant and not his former colleague Bob Mould who resurfaces first, and 2541 is as good a song as his best, such as She Floated Away or Pink Turns to Blue. Building a genuinely epic, eclectic climax, 2541 is sprung on rough-hewn acoustic guitar and drums. Grant's voice as raw as the comparable Alex Chilton. What's it about? A house? Or rather a home? The first place we had to ourselves, I didn't know it would be the last. In a few telling brush strokes, Grant portrays a place. We had to keep the stove on all night long so the mice wouldn't freeze. A relationship and a time of life. The time when you first find privacy somewhere to call your own. The punchline is that your problems don't go away, they merely change. This is a fine and true song about the gaining of painful adult wisdom. And the mm -hmm. chorus ebbs away, 2541, big windows to let in the sun. In the bitterly refrained landlord's sales pitch, one hears the dying lament for a relationship. Welcome back. Uh, here's a quote from from the LA Weekly by Robert Lloyd. Ex-Husker Dude goes it alone, makes a record more immediately grabbing than anything I remember from Warehouse Songs and Stories, the Husker's big label swan song. Really? Hmm. Uh, here's another quote. Ex-Husker Doer, Grand Hart, releases his first solo EP with a full length on the horizon. The three-inch CD SST is sending out contains three songs to appease. 2541 is nice and moody and a welcome relief from these Husker Du drought times. Give it a spin or two hundred. <laughs> so there you go. They were sending out three inches as a, you know, promo, I guess. Yeah. Uh, maximum rock and roll, Ryan. This is just a one sentence that I picked out. Gone is any trace of the buzzsaw days, but that's okay. Ah, interesting comment from maximum rock and roll. Yeah. Well, this was before they were like super strict about hardcore maybe or something. Yeah, I don't know. I remember, you know, there was that moment when Max and Rock and Roll stopped accepting demo tapes. And it was like, oh my God, how dare they? And I was like, well, you know, there's just a zillion other stuff that are, isn't on demo tapes. And yeah. it was all... I don't know. It was all Screeching Weasel and Pink Lincoln's sounding stuff for like three years. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's from, uh, I think, The Village Voice, Jim Knipfel. In April, when Husker Du dissolved after their last tour, accusing fingers pointed at drummer-singer Grant Hart's drug problems as the reason why. He did seem like the trio's fuck-up. 
Now, a few months later, as guitarist-singer Bob Mould prepares a solo album for Warner Brothers and bassist Greg Norton sells real estate in the Minneapolis suburbs, Hart has returned to the band's old label to produce a modest EP, 2541. Hart was always the one most able to pull off the Hooskers' ballads. The EP's title cut is a richly orchestrated acoustic retrospective on which Hart plays all the instruments, and he warbles like he did on Candy Apple Grey's No Promise Have I Made. 2541 refers to 2541 Nicolette Avenue, Minneapolis, the Hooskers' first studio. Hart sounds like a once bitter man remembering an old relationship. That what's, that's what comes through on the record, this song specifically, Betrayal Tempered by Time. Both B-side cuts sound like Husker Du outtakes. Come Come, another acoustic tune, responds to Zen Arcade's Never Talking to You Again. As in, come, come, can't you think of something to say? In Let Go, Hart does let go, crushing the melody in a sloppy bit of fun, though I don't know what he's talking about, something about cookies and suicide. The EP works, though, for a very simple reason. By moving away from what Husker Du were doing on their last album, the excruciatingly bland Warehouse, Hart has regressed <laughs> Hart has regressed into the work he churned out, say, three years ago when the band was at its peak. Perhaps it's the only logical thing he could do in lamenting its demise. Man, the, the amount of articles that talk about Husker and Bob would probably be hard enough for Grant, but to have every article just reference how he was a drug addict, I don't know. That's That would be probably a bit much. Yeah. Uh, here's another clip. The three songs have a blatantly 60s acoustic feel to them, and there's no denying that Grant knew exactly what was going down on this vinyl. Sort of like Cat Stevens a la Paul Simon de Art Gartfunkel as influenced by Husker Du. Leaving behind Hart's infamous shrieking vocals and opting instead for a more subdued and soothing frolic makes Grant Hart by himself a lot more approachable for those previously all shook by the do. The do. <laughs> the do. Do the do. Yeah. Here's another one by Tom Roblowski, another article that I pulled a bunch of stuff from for the Intolerance episode. He just says... Uh, I was in town to hear Intolerance Hart's first album since his superb but impossible to find 1988 EP 2541. Weird, man. Yeah, I know, hey? Well, you know, like, uh, it seems like SST was cash strapped at this time, so maybe they, maybe you know, just couldn't meet demand or something. They were, they may just have put out too much of other stuff. May have? <laughs> <laughs> right uh the artwork ryan is is pretty great if you go on paul hilkoff's third av or third av site there's a a tour of like you know historical sites related to husker du and there's photos of this this house 2541 garfield street i think it is and there's you know mm -hmm. a picture of grant taken in, I think, 2011, standing in front of the house. Yeah. It has that, you know, Victorian type of look to it that, I I mean, I know you probably are like, oh, big surprise, Ryan's going there, but it just totally, the back cover and the window and the ability to crawl out the window and sit on that roof just 
reminds me of the replacements let it be record totally because yeah, this 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 house could be on the street of the let it be house you know yeah i had the same thought when i looked at it pretty bare bones though no inserts or anything like that no dead wax i don't think no interesting kind of gray silver font color i guess on it yeah but uh yeah no it's good i mean Great use of the house numbers. It, it is a very cool album cover, yeah. I would say. It totally works. You know, they have that column that has just been repainted and repainted for a hundred years. Um, and they've just like, you know, hammered on a new number whenever one of the two five four ones fall off. It looks cool. Yeah. Ballot result time, man. Yeah. Ballot result. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, really. Yeah, I feel like 2541 is the better version on this one, and it makes a lot of sense to put it on. Let let go is a throwaway. Come, come. We already picked. That's a done deal. Did we mention that uh, 2541, it's written out numerically on this one, but it's written out in words on Intolerance? Hmm. Yeah, I think we mentioned that maybe on the Intolerance episode, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Ryan, thanks to Tom Herbers for being on the show, and thanks to uh, Paul Hilkoff as well. Absolutely. Always love going to Minneapolis. Yeah. Can't wait to get to the next Grant Hart release, too. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, it's SST 220, the Dinosaur Jr. Freak Scene 7-inch, and we've got a special guest. Yeah, Philip Virus, the dude who made the Freak Scene documentary, is going to be on the show. So if you haven't seen that yet, it's out now. Go watch it so you can be ready to, to hear Philip next week on our show. Yeah, get primed for some freak scene. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.